Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce. Today's guest is Jamie Shoup, who is a retired U.S. Army soldier. In 2016, Jamie had his gender legally changed to non-binary. We get into that court decision and its implications, and then Jamie shares his story about becoming trans and then detransitioning. And then he shares his views on transgenderism, which are among the strongest that I've showcased in this series on gender and sexuality. Now, this series is not designed to showcase one single view on these matters, but rather an array of experiences and views couched not in that <clears throat> binary combativeness of agreement or disagreement, but rather just that simple human act of sharing the experiences of what one has gone through and how those experiences have shaped their views on life. That said, here's Jamie Shoup. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, wanting to talk. I was re yeah. recommended um, to speak with you by somebody um, who commented, I believe, on one of the detransition uh, videos. Yeah, me uh, desisting has kind of been making the news. <laughs> oh yeah, in, in in small ways, nothing like uh, when I when I first uh, became non-binary. It was like that was ten days of non-stop media attention, hmm. and, and it went on for eighteen months. And since I've desisted, the only people that really want to talk about it are the conservatives and the religious folks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I guess some of the what we could call the gender critical feminists. Have you seen any interest from them? Oh, they, they have like totally embraced me on this. Mm. I mean, be, beyond my wildest dreams, it's, uh, it's been totally wonderful to be, have so much support from them. Hmm. And yeah. you, you mentioned, uh, when you went non-binary, there was a lot of media attention. What year was that? 2016, um, the okay. summer yeah, I went, went to court on June 10th. And I walked out of court, uh, went to Starbucks and bought a latte. And by the time I came home, my whole screen was blown up with little bubbles from reporters huh. going, you know, can we interview you? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. why Why do you think that was such a big deal? What was the precedent that was set by that? Because well, you mean, were, it's... this was like the U.S. government decided to create another category no, what I mean, basically, you know, throughout the entire history of the United States, nobody has ever been legally declared as something other than male or female. So me getting a judge to do that w was mind blowing for mm. you know lots of lots of folks, lawyers, the LGBT community, you know, er everybody was just blown away about that. And especially by the way, I went about doing it as well. Mm -hmm. Which was how. Um, so basically, I had reached out to folks like Lambda Legal and the ACLU and even some other attorneys and said, you know, hey, this is what I want to do. You know, will somebody support me on this? And the, like the ACLU uh, and never even responded to me. Uh, Lambda said no. Hmm. Um, a lot of the lawyers said no. They, they didn't even want to attempt such a thing. And I found a, a, a gay attorney, a, a gay male attorney 
in Portland who was one of the lead attorneys on uh, same-sex marriage in Oregon. And I, I approached him, and um, yeah, and, and he, he said yes. And it turned out to be really simple. What, why was it so simple? I, like, was it just a straightforward petition kind of thing? I mean, he literally took a sex change petition, one that's you know, normally used, um, sucked it into Photoshop, and you know, cut, did a cutout job on the male and female, taped in non-binary, and filed it with the court. And, you know, we had an agreement for you know, $350 an hour for, for hmm. legal legal fees. And and if it, you know, if it turned into appeals and all that, I mean, it, he was basically you know, giving me a line of credit. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not like a super rich person or anything. So, yeah, yeah I mean, so he, he filed this thing in April. You know, we went to the hearing in June and the judge just merely signed it. Oh. So, I mean, my, you know, legal bill for this landmark court decision was $1,056, which kind of, you know, that, that kind of blew everybody away, too. <laughs> huh. So but there's... What... No, continue, please. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, one little dark wrinkle in all of this. Um, you know, I had been told uh, after the thing was filed, uh, you know, I was kind of running around like in a nervous wreck going like, okay, I'm going to get sex change letters from my doctors and, you know, bring all the evidence. You know, we're going to show up like the army. We're, 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 we're going to be so big nobody wants to even fight us. And he was like, no, Jamie, don't worry about this. We got this. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the judge has a transgender child. So, I mean, that, I think that is basically the reason that I won. Um, I think, you know, I've come to think that she wasn't only validating me, that she was also validating her child in the process. And uh, what are your feelings on this now that you, you're um, desisting or have desisted? As far as the court thing or overall? or I guess let's start with the court thing and then um, probably just uh, present like a, a biography of like your transition and detransition. So people have a... Uh, kind of it in their minds. Yeah, the the court thing has just kind of eaten at me the whole time. Um, yeah, I, I felt like I cheated. I felt like the the judge should have recused herself. And um, yeah, I mean, it kind of traces back to my military history. Like early in my career, I was on this international march team. And we went to Holland and we competed. Uh, we marched 100 miles in like a, in like a competition, a NATO kind of thing. And the lieutenant in charge of the team had us fill our rucksacks with styrofoam instead of the 22 pounds we were supposed to be carrying. So yeah, every day of the four days, we, we did 25 miles a day. Every day we won. And I was like, you know, I, I don't ever want to cheat again. Hmm. You know, I mean, I was just this little peon who had just come in the army. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it really shaped me about the cheating thing. And I, I felt that same way with this court thing about, you know, her having the transgender kid. And, you know, I went into the thing where I couldn't lose. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So that, that, that has been eating at me uh, you know, ever since then. Well, from your pers perspective now, what is the importance of this third category then, or this non-binary category uh in in the legal system and then in like i guess the general cultural um milieu you know i i've kind of changed my thinking on it um i went into it thinking that you know i was helping people that you know okay so the reason the whole non-binary thing came about we should really start there is because you know 
prior to that, I had transitioned into being a female. And I had ultimately reached the conclusion after a couple of years that, you know, I'm not really a female. I should have never transitioned to, to being a female. And how do I get myself out of this mess? And the non-binary thing became the mechanism to do just that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm faced with that, like that situation where you you hear about with the kids, you know, they've went around and they, they've told everybody they're the opposite sex and everybody has supported them. Then all of a sudden they're changing their mind, you know, so it's like, you know, what do I do here? Do I commit suicide? Do I mm-hmm. do I just tell everybody the whole thing was a mistake? You know, how do I get myself out of this mess? And so I came up with the non-binary thing as, as a way to do that. <clears throat> You know, the, you know, a lot of transitions do flame out and people do commit suicide. And I kind of pictured it as, as a landing zone for, for people like me. And, and that, that was a big, big part of my motivation. You know, I mean, but as far as you know, the legal folks, they had, they had been wanting to do this for years, but nobody had ever succeeded at it. So in my speaking with uh, the young women from the Peak Resilience Project, um, a couple of them have m- mentioned that the they or entering into the they is this middle zone. And it's a zone that they enter in before they transition and then after they transition. There's this this buffer zone where they don't commit. Um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem like a permanent category. It seems like a, a position in between it seems like there is no such thing as non-binary non-binary is making a binary between a binary and then establishing another binary like between uh you know male female and then just creating another axis of of binary um but you think of it have you thought of it um do people think of it as a permanent location because it seems like a a transitory location and what does it mean to be non-binary you know the a it's kind of I, in, in a lot of ways, it's a cop out, but there is people who actually, you know, adopt that identity and they stay there. I mean, I think um, Kate Bornstein, Bornstein, how do you pronounce that? I do not. Know. Yeah, that's a, that's a, one of the more famous trans people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think they've been genderqueer for probably like 20 some years now. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it is it is kind of this this space, you know. And and that was another piece of the pie here. Okay, so when I was a female, um, living as a female, of course, you know, the rad femmes would would beat up on people like me and you know tell me I wasn't really a woman. Well, okay, so so going to the non-binary space allowed me to basically carry on as as you know living as a woman in sorts, but without being uh, you know um, classified as a female. Mm-hmm. So what what can you really say about me if if I'm doing you know stereotypical female things, but mm-hmm. I'm not doing it under a female identity? Yeah. So that that was kind of a a piece of it too. So, in in effect, it could be that a non-binary designation or even just a trans designation mm-hmm. uh, would allow for some compromise between uh, radical feminists and their worries about uh, males taking over their sports, taking over the restrooms. Um, it might lead to a, a, some sort of precedent where we can build this, uh, this third category for certain instances where females uh, want to preserve their status as females and not cede to natal males uh, certain advantages or, you know, I guess lose at track races. Um, yeah, anyway. I think that, that nails it really well. And, you know, historically there has been a third gender. Okay. If you look in India and you know, places in Asia, the, the, 
the mm-hmm. mixes. I believe it's pronounced as mixes in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's all these, it goes way, way back in, into ancient history. But the difference with a lot of these folks are, you know, they didn't, they did this stuff, but they didn't identify as women. They, they were, you know, they tended to be like gay male communities and, and, and things of that nature. They weren't running around going like, see, I'm really a female, mm-hmm. which is the stuff that, you know, pisses off the feminists. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of my little mindset, too, is like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just restored the, the third gender to North America, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I was kind of like high on my own thing. Yeah. So in, in a sense, it seems like now and we can talk about like how you feel about now. It seems like now you, you kind of you doubt that or you have negative views for it. But there does seem to be some benefit to having this precedent um, or this third category of gender. Um, and normalizing that to a certain extent where the fetishization of it doesn't go overboard. I'm a little worried about the whole two-spirit thing, um, especially Mm -hmm. on college campuses where people just self-ID as that because it makes them special. It gives them those extra special points that they need um, in order to get ahead or get an edge on the competition and a social sphere and stuff. But if we normalize it to such an extent um, that it's not this thing that people can abuse on a social level, it's just something that's accepted and passe, then it could possibly have uh, a good effect. But that said, what are your negative views on it now? And what do you think is the, the problematics of? The okay, well, one piece of this <clears throat> where it would be a positive is if you do it as a, quote, generalist person. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got asthma, so you kind of bear with my voice thing here. Yes, okay, so if you're, if you're doing it as, as, quote, you know, generalist, you're not saying that, you know, you're not forgetting that you have a biological sex. You're just, you know, like I said, you're just operating as a generalist person. You know, that ha- that has a benefit. But when you get sucked into all the stuff of like what I was doing of like, okay, so I've got a male body and I've got a female gender identity. Mm-hmm. So you mold these two together and that makes me non-binary and I'm a special snowflake. You know, I'm, I'm the third sex. You know, that's that sort of thing is harmful with this. And why um, is it harmful? Why do you think it's harmful to the individual and to the society? Because it's like when I was, you know, as classified as a female, I can, you know, they'll tell me that I wasn't really changing my sex. But then what do I do? I go down to the DMV and I change my sex. Yeah. You know, that stuff starts getting a little confusing and you, and you end up really damaged by that. You know, I, I certainly did. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's get into that then. The, um, I, I guess we should talk about like your history and what prompted you to transition. Um, but with the intention to eventually get to where like starting to play with those categories on a societal level can perhaps destabilize even more one's uh, relationship to their own self, their individuality, as opposed to the identity and and where that kind of gets scrambled. Yep. Totally agree. So if if you want to, when did you start? um, How far did it go back with like confusion about gender or, or a desire to transition and what kind of was the the egg or the seed for that? Was it all the way back in childhood? No, actually, well, we can let's start at childhood, and you keep me on course with this. Okay, so I I had an awful childhood. Um, mm. You know, I I had you know a situation of, of a lot of physical violence, of being you know, physically beaten by my parent, both of my parents. Um, there was a lot of alcoholism on my father's side of the family, uh, so I witnessed like some horrific 
violence there as well. Um, one of my father's brothers was was a pedophile, and you know he sexually abused me when I, as a young kid. Um, yeah, so my whole childhood was like was basically a train wreck. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, identifying it in any cross-sex manner. I wasn't, you know, going in my mother's clothing and wearing women's clothing. I had basically a, a normal childhood other, other than the violence and the sexual abuse. You know, so then, you know, along comes the Army recruiters. You know, they, they tested us. Um, I think it was in like the 11th grade of high school. And they gave us the ASVAB testing, and I, I tested way way up into officer territory. So they 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 started hounding me to come in the military. I mean, I had this like Marine recruiter show up five times at my workplace, and you know to come in, and you know they called the house constantly. So you know we we were basically dirt poor, so it made sense. You know I wasn't. You know, going into the military to to man up or anything like that it, it was you know totally in, in economics yeah. yeah it was it was you know yeah get some training you know see where it goes and that you know the first four years were were pretty normal but you know the thing with the military is I, I was exposed to a tremendous amount of pornography so I like you know give you an example my first duty station in, in Germany Okay, so the the base exchange, what they call the PX or the BX, you know, they they rented triple uh, X movies um, to soldiers. Um, you know, all the the base bookstores, they were full of you know Hustler and Penthouse and We and you know every imaginable title. So I mean, it, it was just like a, a big culture of pornography, and I wasn't really sucked into it in, in the early years. But as I started getting into like a supervisor position and started having like you know, tremendous amounts of responsibility, I started using pornography as, as a as a stress thing. It was kind of like, you know, I would come home from lunch or, you know, and be sitting there, you know, using one of those, you know, 1980 something or early 90 something image viewers and, you know, hitting the space bar and flipping, you know, nudes across the screen. You know, I was doing that at night. I, I was really heavy in, into porn. Um, you know, I was one of the early people on the Internet. Mm -hmm. uh, and and yeah. in your mind now, looking back at that, you see it as a, a coping mechanism for the amount of stress that you were in. Totally. So, that, so it, like, uh, could you describe that? Like, like it just removes you from, it's like an escapism kind of thing. It removes you from the mind thinking about your duties and to like kind of in this feedback circuit or. Yeah, it, it was, a, it was something to escape into. Okay. So, you know, I'm military. I couldn't do drugs. That's off the table. I have the, you know, the family history of alcoholism. And my my wife does too, so you know both of us have no desire to ever be alcoholics. So I mean, you know, a lot of folks in the military use alcohol as their stress outlet. That that wasn't an option for me. Um, so, but pornography was, and and the more I went into it, the you know the deeper down the rabbit hole I I went. And I mean, I literally started falling into Blanchard's category of uh, of the autogonophilia thing. Right. You know, I started. Um, you know, fantasizing about myself as a woman. Mm -hmm. do you, yeah, no. do you, was it a very steep descent or like, was it incremental and just got a little bit stronger over periods of time? And how long would you say it, um, it took for that autogynephilia to kind of emerge and become something that you participated in? Um, like how, how long, how far along in the pornography as stress relief? 
was that? Um, with, within a couple of years, okay. within probably within about a two year, two year aspect of it. Yeah. And was there an aspect of when, when you began to fantasize about yourself as a woman and um, participate in sexual fantasies and probably activities in that, was there like another character that you formulated or was it just you in the position or positionality of being a female, of being a woman? Was like there another identity that you began to sculpt or was it principally just a sexual uh, like uh, fantasy and act? I mean, I, you know, came up with names for myself. Like I, I would you know, consider myself as Lisa back then. So I, I did that. But, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, the Blanchard thing was a big piece of me desisting because it was me, you know, getting honest with myself about what was going on. Because like, I mean, the, I don't know if you've read that stuff, but like Blanchard talks about like, I'm not like a gay gay man is attracted to men. They're they're attracted to men's bodies that excites them. I I'm not attracted by that at all. I'm only attracted to the sex act itself with me as a woman, me playing the role as a woman. I don't care what the man looks like. Hmm. It's just the, the sex act itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 you know the kind of the rabbit hole I went down. Yeah. And how did it begin to um, ratchet up and spill over into your everyday life? I guess, like, when did you start to want to transition into a woman full time? And was it always a sexual component or did it just kind of become more than just a sexual component and swell into an identity and a social identity? No, it was always a sexual component. Hmm. But let's, you know, before we get to that, that moment, you know, we have to bounce this against you know, the military background of amount, the amount of stress this put me under because, you know, I, I served like prior to and during don't ask, don't tell. So I had like a double, double death sentence going on, you know, number one, I could be put out for, for being gay or you know, homosexual, any of that sort of thing. And then number two, I could be put out on the, on the transvestism side of the house under the, the sexual paraphilias. Hmm. So, so that, that was like an incredibly crushing thing to to have to live with and and you know serve a military career under so and you know another piece of that is part of the stress relief thing was you know i i would you know i you know even though i knew this stuff was a death sentence you know it, it was like it was like i would do it almost wanting to get caught almost wanting you know to get caught to end the pain so, you, you know, me going out and doing risky things like, you know, dressing up as a woman and, and going to an adult theater in Germany and, you know, letting men follow me and things like that. You know, I mean, I could have easily been caught, but like I said, but I, but I did it anyway. Um, did the risk uh, heighten the excitement or like you say, was it more about like trying to get help or trying to get recognized for some other pain that you had that you're acting out on? I think at the time the risk actually heightened the excitement as well. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a, a fair fair analysis of that. Mm-hmm. You know, but this this stuff went on for you know a couple of decades, and you know, it's about 2010, 2011. Well, let's back up a second. So I actually left the military in the year 2000, and I just kind of had a really bad decade of you know, dealing with a lot of my mental health issues and not really making any progress with it. Um, you know, I left the military riddled with PTSD and, and anxiety problems, all sorts of issues. 
So, the, you know, so I left in 2000, get to about 2010, 2011, and we had bought a home. Um, it was fairly expensive, like $365,000, and it had a lot of construction problems. And I got into like this huge battle with the builder and, you know, he, he was basically refusing to fix the house. You ever seen the movie Pacific Heights where I think it's Mike, Michael Keaton. I think he like deconstructs the apartment or whatever. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. You'd have to watch it. Well, I, I did that on steroids. I dug up the yard. You know, this, this was a place that had a strict homeowners association you know, I dismantled the house. I dug up the yard. I, I did all this crazy stuff. I was hauling the dirt by the dump truck full out of the front yard and dumping it across the street. And, you know, the, and the builder sued me for three and a half million dollars. Yeah. I mean, it turned into that, that kind of a battle. Okay. And, you know, the, the, I was fighting with the neighbors, you know, because the neighbors were all, they were a lot of like active duty Navy, uh, Navy officers. And all they wanted to do was live there and sell their house three years later for more than they bought it for. They didn't you know, want everybody to know about the construction problems in the neighborhood. So I'm fighting the builder. I'm fighting with the neighbors. And, and you know, people are calling the cops on me. And I'm doing all this crazy stuff. And eventually, you know, we all went to court. And the builder agreed to buy the house back. But I, got, I was a wreck. Hmm. You know, I, was all, I was all doped up on Xanax. Um, they're filling out one of the documents. I couldn't even remember how to make the letter G because I was so ate up on benzos at the time. And that, that was the start of my transition. So I popped out of this $3.5 million lawsuit. I ended up in a cabin in the woods in western Maryland after living in hotels for six months and, and my credit rating going to zero. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, what's wrong with you, Jamie? How did you, you know, how did you get like this? And I, and I start Googling things and, and I come up with what comes up transsexualism. And I was like, you know, it, it was sold to me as, you know, this is your problem. You've always been, you know, a male trapped in a woman's body. And if you, if you acknowledge that and you transition, then your mental health will get better. Okay. So that's, so that's what I did. Yeah. So you were kind of sold, uh, this is kind of skeptic or cynical way of putting it, but you were sold a bill of goods. Uh, you were sold a path towards reconciliation with yourself if you went along this path. Yeah, I mean, but you know, this stuff was in writing. Okay, uh, my, my informed consent document from the Veterans Affairs, it says that mental health improves with uh, transition hormones. So the, vet, uh, the VA recommends that as a path towards health then yeah they're saying that you get better mental mental health by this hmm. you know and you know i i transitioned around the time too where you know okay so i guess you know are you familiar with the name dr norman speck that rings a bell but could you detail him? he's speck is like the godfather of puberty blockers Okay. He's the, he's the one who basically you know brought it into the country in 2007 and said you know this is a good idea of of, of how we save trans kids. And you know like there was an article around that time frame was was Spack in it. Um, I I can send it to you later if you want to see it. I've, it's on my Twitter feed. But you know Spack is telling reporters like you know okay you know the, the, what we're doing is we're curing you know, bipolar disorder in these kids. You know, they're coming in, they're depressed, they're anxious, they're cutting on their cells, they got bipolar disorder. You know, we put them on puberty blockers and start calling them by the name they want, and all of a sudden they're cured. You know, that's what I bought into. 
Well, you know what? In the end, I ended up with all the same problems I went into it with. I wasn't cured. So there was a temporary lifting of your 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 uh, unhealthy uh, state um, in pursuing transition. Did it release you from certain things, or did it give you another thing to focus on? Or? Well, the only thing it did release me on was I now had a license to wear women's clothing whenever I wanted. You know, I, I got to I got to instead of uh, being an auto kind of person on the side, I got to live that fantasy. Hmm. Yeah. So basically, yeah, that's that's how that worked out. And did you kind of slowly begin to incorporate being a woman into your life, or did you just convert overnight and and present constantly, or was it kind well, of a patchwork? I, I jumped in like, you know, to both feet. Um, I printed out documents from the v, one of the VA medical centers up in Massachusetts, and I made an appointment with a mental health nurse, nurse practitioner. And I showed up with all these documents, and I was like, you either put me on hormones today or I go, buy, go home and buy them off the Internet. And she did it. She had never met me in her life. But, you know, I went in and made that threat to her. And, and bam, she wrote me a script for hormones. I, I started them that evening. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I jumped right into electrolysis of getting getting my facial hair removed. Um, yeah. It is, I, I didn't waste any time on it. Was your end goal, this is a personal question, was your end goal to, to be surgically altered? Or were you satisfied with hormones? At the time, I, I was going to get surgically altered because it was like, you know, I was sold the, the this, uh, how do you put it? You know, that, that basically all I had to do was, was switch over my hormone operating fuel from testosterone to estrogen, you know, get these surgeries. And then I was the same woman as any other woman. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of the, the, the way it's sold to you under, under the trans package. <laughs> and what was, what was the effect of hormones on you and on your feelings and your body? And how was that? Um, well, before we do that one, let's do one other piece. So wouldn't you, I never really had a problem with gender dysphoria up until that point. Hmm. Once I actually, you know, was being recognized as a female, you know, on a more formal basis, you know, that really gave me a gender dysphoria problem. It was like, okay, so now I'm female and, and I'm very much aware that I'm in a male body. You know, like one of the things I did was I took a pair of tweezers and removed every single facial hair on my face. That's like, you know, you you going in the bathroom and removing your whole beard with, with a pair of tweezers. You know, that's how far I went, progressed to having gender dysphoria really quickly. Mm-hmm. And you know, as far as the other effects of the hormones, um, yeah, I started getting you know, the crying episodes because – you know, one of the things I've, I've learned from the mental health pathway and the trans pathway is testosterone protects you in two ways. Hmm. It keeps tears away on, on the mental health side, uh, just like antidepressants do. And, and when you know, once you strip away that testosterone, you're kind of defenseless. Okay. So, I mean, you can just like cry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Hmm. And so in a way it... It gave you it gave you an even more direct access to to the psychological pain that you were experiencing and the stuff that was under the surface for you. Yeah, because I was defenseless against it. Like all of my traumas that, you know, testosterone had been hiding, I was totally exposed to. Hmm. You know, I would get into an argument with my daughter and I would cry like a baby. 
yeah, because yeah, it was just defenses stripped away. Hmm. In in your life up till the moment that we're speaking about, did you ever have counseling that was able to help you deal with your traumatic uh, childhood and then the trauma that you experienced in the military and and the stress? Or were you, were you kind of forced or only found the way to deal with it was through self-medication and, and self-therapy? Um, well, there was like numerous instances where folks had put me on medications. You know, they had put me on things like Xanax and antidepressants. Um, one psychiatrist even put me on Safaris uh, temporarily, which is a bipolar drug. But nobody ever gave me any therapy. They just kept, they just kept throwing meds at me. So by the time I went into transitioning as a female, yeah, I had never had any therapy. It, this is a probably a question for later, but in your experience, from your experience, have you found that that there is a path for therapy that would have worked for you? Um, are you do you find any value in in therapy uh, or psychology, or have you started to gravitate towards? like some sort of reading regimen or thought process or spirituality even to help you cope? You know, yeah, if, if, if there's a wake up call to all of this, it's, it's me. Okay. Because, you know, therapists should have stopped what, what everything that happened in my case. Um, <clears throat> you know, they should have analyzed why I was doing the things. If, if they had of, you know, they would have found out that I was doing it for, you know, autogonophilia reasons, that I was um, confusing sex stereotypes with me being a woman. Yeah, there's just, you know, the, the childhood sexual abuse piece. There's so many things that they that were red flags that would have stopped my transition. But because of the, you know, the stigmatism against therapists uh, not affirming people right away, and the even the conversion therapy laws that scare therapists, hmm. you know, all the all those things were, were were barriers to to getting me help. Instead, everybody just blessed off and said, "Okay, fine, you're a woman. You know, here's your pills. Have a nice day." Hmm. So you were basically left to your own devices then to discover how to deal with these things yourself. And then when, when you're on estrogen, you have even less defenses. You become like this waterbed of emotion, uh, just sloshing around. And Well, we shouldn't say I was by myself. I had all these folks in Reddit and YouTube and all these other nice places that, that were, were helping me, you know, you know, get into the mess I got into. Oh, like, okay. You know, so you, you were the, the internet kind of fueled and, and reinforced you yeah the internet i mean is how i diagnosed myself as trans to begin with and then you know i started hanging out and read it in the ass transgender room and you know watching the the videos on youtube you know it really wasn't any different than what these 11 12 13 14 year old uh, folks are doing i was just doing it at a different age hmm. yeah and then did the internet um help you to uh go in the other direction or or start to cope with yourself in a different manner than through transgenderism you talk about on the desisting side of yeah it? on the desisting side yeah i mean i i credit the feminists for helping mm -hmm. me really discover you know the things i was doing wrong because you know like one of one of those pieces in the in the dsm-5 under just gender dysphoria it talks about um, you know, one, of, one of the characteristics is that you believe you have the stereotypical feelings of the opposite sex. You know, that, that nails me to a T. 
you know, I, I would have thought, you know, even though people don't see it in me, my own view of, of myself from my world is, you know, like, yeah, okay, I sit down to pee. That makes me trans. You know, I, I cry easy. That's, that's, a, that's a female trait. That's another thing that makes me trans. You know, mm. I, I, I could just get down these check boxes and, you know, and tell myself all these reasons, you know, that I was really a female and not a male. But no therapist, again, you know, ever sat down and, and explored that stuff with me. You know, but, but the feminists do because they throw it in your face. You, you really can't ignore it as a trans person. <laughs> and when somebody's telling you the truth, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, my eyes are open to the truth. And that's why my transition as a female fell apart. Yeah. Could you give us some examples of how like a feminist uh, confronted you on these stereotypical behaviors and how that, that kind of began to... I guess, give you another dysphoria that, that counteracted your gender dysphoria, perhaps? Well, there's, yeah, there's various pieces of that. Okay, so, you know, me becoming a, a transgender woman, you know, I was going to, you know, I figured, okay, well, I might as well be an activist, too. You know, I'm, I'm retired on disability. I got nothing but time on my hands. So I'll, I'll join the rest of the trans women in beating up on these women. You know, it's it's the trans women who defend the trans community. It's you, you, it's kind of a, a reverse stereotype thing. You, you would think that, you know, the men of the transgender community, the transgender men, the females to males would be fighting the wars. Well, they're pretty silent on all this. It's it's the male to females that are that are protecting transgenderism. And, and I joined them in that. Um, but, you know, then you another piece of the pie is, you know, I don't know if you've seen how what you're supposed to to read and, and what you're not supposed to read is regulated. Like, have you ever been in Reddit and like you're not allowed to post articles from such and such place? Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, I, you know, I don't like that. I, I, I like to have a wide variety of, of voices telling me, you know, what's going on in the world. And I started reading things like, you know, Kathy Brennan's Gender Identity Watch and and, you know, Gallus Meg's Gender Trender. And and seeing you know eyes wide open what was really going on with transgenderism, and I, I couldn't ignore that. I mean, it changed me. What was going on with transgenderism that you had a I guess a problem with or or that caused you to be skeptical? Well, I guess we could start with the thing about you know trans women or women. Repeat after me: trans women or women. Yeah. Well, well, okay. We we don't shed our male violence characteristics. Okay, even the Swedish study on, on the, the famous Swedish study on on the, um, the sex chain surgeries, it talks about that. You know, trans women retain their male patterns of, of criminality, and you know what I did too. So, you know, I mean, look at look at the stuff I did at the house that I was talking about. I was running around with an assault weapon, you know, and you know, I go from that to yeah, I'm really a woman. You know, it, it, it's it's crap. It wasn't okay. true. Yeah. So I, it's like, and I started building websites of my own as well and, and just started, you know, looking, looking at the data in, in the, in the categories about, you know, you know, 60 trans women have, have committed murders and, and two trans men have, you know, it's, so the feminists were right in what, in the things they're saying. And, and, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm with them. I'm, I'm not with the trans women. These folks make more sense to me. Hmm. Yeah. And so that was a piece of you desisting. Yeah, that's that. That was a big piece of me desisting to to non-binary. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the other pieces then? Um, and 
when you started to accept uh, a different category other than woman, how did your mental health change or how did your relationship to your mental health change? You know, I kept telling myself that all this stuff was going to help me. And, you know, there might be a placebo balance in some of it, but I always ended up back at square one of being mentally ill. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I never got any relief. Yeah, but the big, there was like a, a bunch of tributaries flowing that uh, towards me desisting, you know, back to mail altogether. All um, you know, one of the pieces was, you know, I felt like I needed to set a better example for kids. You know, I felt like I was just teaching them that you, you can just run off and, and hide under a different identity uh, and, and to escape your problems. And, and you can't. Yeah, that's, that's not possible. It sounds like that uh, stereotype of the man who you know, just uh, falls in love with another woman and then finds himself married to the same woman over and over and over again or in the same broken relationship. Yeah, I think that's a good good analogy of it. Yeah, you know, they said there was that piece of it. You know, there there was the the fact that the whole thing was a fraud to begin with, because you know the judge having the transgender kid, you know that that was like this anchor around my neck, um, where I felt like I I had like you know stole stole that court victory because of that. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean it, it was just like every everything was just kind of crumbling. You know, the realization that none of this had had helped my mental health like I was promised. And I was like, you know, I'm basically living as a male anyway, so why don't we just go ahead and make this official? <laughs> yeah. And oh, so, so you went back to court to change your gender to male? No, I still have to do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got a real mess with that. Um, so far, I've changed myself back to male at the Veterans Administration um, with DOD, Department of Defense. They were carrying me as a female because I'm a retiree um, and I'm under their health care system as well. So I've changed myself back to male there. I've gotten a male driver's license. I've went to Social Security, um, but I still have to go back to court and, and I've got to deal with my birth certificate again. Hmm. You know, that was another crazy thing about, um, so it was like, as soon as I had the big court victory, you know, I had law firms popping up LGBT types and going like, Hey, we would like to help you change your birth certificate. And I was born in Washington, DC. So I scored another big win by accepting their help. Um, even though this one, this doesn't really get talked about. Um, but I was the first person in, in Washington, DC history to ever be issued a document that said something other than male or female. Okay. They changed they changed my birth certificate to unknown. So I, I need to fix that. Yeah. So in desisting, um, was there an aspect of that of becoming honest with yourself and in the aspect of becoming honest with yourself and your state and your mental health? Has it made it easier for you to find help that that does actually help? Or, I guess, uh, a way of interacting with the world that actually uh, does help you with your traumas? Well, okay, interacting with the world, with the world is a lot easier you know, doing it as my birth sex than, than running around as a fake woman or, or as a fake third gender. <laughs> I'm not fighting pronoun battles. You know, I'm not battling over bathrooms. You know, I'm just back to just being... You know, just your average white guy who and nobody really pays any attention to going down the street now. Now, the an interesting piece as far as like more professional help, um, the VA has kind of dumped me. 
Um, I recently talked to them, you know, reached out and said, you know, I'm going to need some help, you know, <clears throat> getting through this again. And they basically referred me to an outside therapist um, because I had approached them also and said, you know, you've got my diagnosis wrong here. You know, you shouldn't be carrying me as gender dysphoria when in reality this is an autogynophilia problem and, and we need to get that changed. And they didn't seem very receptive to that. Do you think that that's because they don't have the, they're not in a position to help you with that? They, they've been mandated to think of things in certain terms and you're breaking the category for them? Well, there's probably a better term for that. Um, I would probably use something like medical malpractice. Because if you, you're diagnosing me with gender dysphoria and you're affirming me as a woman and you don't know anything about Blanchard's uh, you know, theories on autogynophilia, yeah, that, that was like a, a you know, seriously thing that went wrong in, in my transition. Hmm. Yeah. So in, in a certain respect, I can see that, that y your story is going to make some problems with certain aspects of the transgender activist community. Um, so I think that it would be good if you agree or not agree or what your mm -hmm. thoughts on this, uh, to, to specify that your case isn't representative of all trans people. Or do you think, are you saying that trans is fictional, that non-binary is fictional and we should really seriously question that? Or are you asking for more nuance in the way that we approach and diagnose this stuff? I don't mince my words anymore on this. The, okay. the whole the whole, I'm going to go ahead and cuss on this one. The whole shit show is a fraud. You know, this, this you know, academia, folks who, who create things, who, uh, you know, like the folks behind gender identity and the folks behind gender, you know, they're, they're just like these folks in the DSM every time it comes out. You know, you know reach back you know, through the decades and they've created this stuff. It's, it's not real. This is, this is worse than the lobotomy problem. You know, we've harmed way more pro people with, with this gender dysphoria and gender identity thing than, than the lobotomy creators ever dreamed, ever dreamed of harming. That's, that's how far off we are on this. Yeah. So yeah. I don't support any okay. of it. That's your, that's your position. Yeah. Trans, trans is fake. Sorry to break, hurt anybody's feelings, but yeah. So with that said, then I guess you're going to, you're, you're willing to take the, the pushback for that. Um, you're, you're willing to stand your ground. And the question then is, how do you make a positive change uh, to, to correct that mistake, if it is a mistake? In your mind, it's a mistake. Then. You know, this, this, is, um, this is a lot worse than turning around an aircraft carrier in, in the Persian Gulf or something. <laughs> you know, this is going to take a lot of unwinding to fix it. So I, I'm just going to be, you know, another one of those voices who, who who stands up and says, you know, this is what happened to me, and there's there's going to be some legal repercussions of this as well because I, I'm going to get that court order revoked. Um, I'm going back to court. I'm going to have them declare me as a male. I might even sue the Veterans Administration for for medical malpractice at this point. But yeah, I mean, all all these, you know, the New York Times and those folks, they can all ignore it if they want. But, but I'm, I'm moving forward with this. Yeah. Hmm. In, in the note that you wrote me um, before we spoke, you, you, you talked about your allies now. So there's the whole trans allies. But now that there's a detrans allyship that, that you're mentioning. And, and one, of the, mm -hmm. 
one of the groups that was helpful for your desistance was feminists. Uh, it seems you mentioned uh, the right, uh, the conservatives and the religious right. And what are your thoughts about becoming allied with these people or even uh, your your trepidation, if you have any, of being used for other uh, other ends, uh, used to uh, maybe in the whole conversion therapy thing to to allow parents to uh, deconvert or try to convert their their gay children or or uh, foment more bigotry against the gay community. If, do you see that as a problem? And do you see that as something that you need to speak out? Of? Yeah, that's that's a, like a really big piece all at once. But yeah. okay, so we'll, let's go into. I'm already aligned with the the right and, and the the religious folks, and, and I'll tell you why. I'm I'm also very much aligned with the the gender critical folks and the radical feminist, and I hope that they will open their eyes more to to what the right is to, and the um, religious folks are doing to help us. So here here's the thing. So like gender critical rad fems, what are their assets? You know, I I. I think like a military person. Okay, so you know, they have some websites, you know, okay, versus the the Christians and, and the conservatives, they own television stations, they own massive websites, Radio. you know, they're, they're, they are, you know, they are doing things to help us. And they're not they're, at the same time, they're not criticizing us. They're not going like, you know, here's Jamie Shoup, we wish he wasn't gay, but you know, we're happy to, they're just helping me. They're not they're not attaching any any baggage or, or strings to this. And that's what the the feminists need to see with this. You know, this they're they're setting aside, or, you know, the, the things about, you know, being gay and stuff like that. And they're, and they're like, OK, we're all going to work together on the trans problem. And we'll just put all that other baggage off off to the side and we'll fight over it another day. Let's fix this. And, that, and that's what's happening. So I'm, I'm with them 100 mm-hmm. percent. OK. Yeah. And what are some of the things that, um, well, one, thanks for speaking and, and allowing me to, to showcase your story. And I've been, uh, because I'm working on this story, I'm getting a lot of viewership from parents who are uh, worried about their children and, and probably some young people who are going through questioning and stuff. And I'm wondering, what, what are some of the things that you can say to, to parents who are dealing with this problem and, and how to how to support and yet challenge their children and, and what, what are some of the things that you have to say to young people who are, who are confused or, or questioning, I guess, is the not confused. Well, you know, to, to the young folks, like, like I said earlier, you know, they really need to realize this, this whole thing is a fraud. Okay. This, it, this isn't going to end well. And, and, you know, altering, you know, making, you know, sterilizing your body or, you know, making surgical changes to your body, in the long run, it's not going to solve your problem. So I, I you know, wholeheartedly encourage them not to do that. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate that I never had any surgeries. I mean, I've certainly had some health complications from this, but, but yeah, I mean, nothing on the on the scale of, of folks who have had double mastectomies and and you know vaginoplasties and all that, all, all that stuff. So yeah, just you know, you know kids, you know, please don't do this. That's that's my advice. Now, the parents, my heart goes out to them because they are in such a bad position. You know, I, what comes to mind is the mother the other day who, who um, in fact, this is a good plug for the conservatives on this. You know, the Heritage, Heritage Foundation 
um, published a essay by five parents uh, of these kids. And one of the mothers said was, you know, I've reached out to 100 reporters to tell this story and not a single person would. But yet the the Heritage Foundation stepped up and did. You know, so that that's that's that piece coming together. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I would encourage them to not transition their children to to dig their heels in against that whole medical piece. You know, all, all of it, you know, none of it is really helpful in the end. And but at the same time, they got to, you know, balance their kids harming themselves because suicide has been weaponized. You know, you're you, as a transgender person, you're trained to, to play the suicide card, you know, every every time you need to, you know, pro, pronouns will kill you. You know, that's that's the kind of thing that's going on with that. Hmm. And in your own dealing with your autogynephilia um, and and then your own trauma, like what are some of the resources that have helped you? Um, I, it seems like activism is a way of you uh, um, interacting with the world in a positive manner. And that might have some uh, good benefits for your mental health. But what are some of the psychological tools that you've found um, or schools of thought that you've found, whether it's like stoicism or, or spirituality that have helped you deal with your mental problem and shift it from a gender issue into just you um, figuring out, uh, how to be in a better place. You know, the, the number one thing that has helped me is just being willing to open my eyes and learn my way out of this. You know, if you, if you're hanging out and Reddit and, and, and people are controlling what you are allowed to read and, and what you're allowed to think and you have to, you know, it's literally like being in a cult. You know, when, once you, you, you break the cults hold on you and you, and you start teaching yourself what went wrong, then you start getting better. So that's that's really the, the, the number one thing that has helped me through all of this. Yeah. And where are you going now? Uh, I mean, other than the legal stuff, like what what are some of the projects that you're uh, putting your energy into? Um, at the moment, I'm I'm concentrating on writing my autobiography um, because I really need to you know, capture this and let people see just how bad the whole thing was. And, and yeah, that, that's a big part of it. Um, I continue to write essays for, you know, whichever websites are, are willing to publish them. Um, and, and I'm looking at, um, I have to you know, watch balance all this with my mental health, which is pretty fragile, but you know, Walt, are you familiar with Walt Tyre? No. Walt Tyre is, um, you know, was I don't even have words for it. Uh, you know, Walt went through a whole bunch of surgeries, and Walt is one of the early desisters. Um, Walt was a, a, a male to female. You know, had breast augmentation, bottom surgery. You know, lived as a woman for like eight years or so. And I mean, it, it's a real horror story with with Walt's situation. And Walt has been doing this for like twenty years. And he's just been this, you know, this voice in the wilderness uh, that a lot of people haven't paid attention to or the trans community ridicules him and, and they, you know, write him off as a religious nut and all that. Well, you know, Walt's getting to be about 80 years old now. So, you know, people need to step forward and, and fill his shoes. You know, sure, there's a lot of um, the, the sister movement is more focused around the, the females uh, to males. There's not a lot of support on, on the side of the house on the male to female side of it. 
Why do you yeah. think that is? Because of stereotypes of men being able to handle it on their own? or? Well, I think women are better at empathy, too. Or at inspiring empathy? I mean, having empathy. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, w women are a lot, lot better at that, at that stuff than, than males are. And yeah, and they're, they're, they're much more supportive and, and, you know, they're taking these harmed women in, into their arms and, you know, nursing them back. So that makes me wonder if you're saying, if you're giving a, a shout out or a call out for men to support these sisters too, especially men, uh, or having some sort of men's group, um, positive masculinity or something like that. I don't know. What, what are you suggesting? You're, you're talking, you're, 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 you're speaking for me on that one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what needs to happen. <clears throat> yeah. We need to, on the, on the hmm. men's side of the house, we, we need to start getting our act together and we need to start being a lot more supportive to what Walt has been doing all these years. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, this stuff is probably to the point where the you know, support groups need to be created. Yeah. I mean, it's like you know, it has to be built from the ground up. That's a that's a completely novel idea for me. I never even thought that that would be something that would be helpful and even necessary, though. So that's a very good point that you brought up. Um, and do you see? I guess you made the analogy of turning around an aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf or some Gulf, you know, and and that the, yeah. the momentum's really against uh, us at this point, or not us, but it, against the, a, ch a change in the direction of of what's happening on this front. So do you, do you think that there's just a bunch of incremental small things that need to happen or is there any other way? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a whole bunch of small pieces that, that come together, but you know, it's not uncommon for say like churches to have transgender support groups. I don't know whether you're aware of that or not, but like a lot of the P flag meetings I used to go to, um, they occurred in the basement of churches well, you know, those same organizations maybe need to step up to the plate and, and start putting uh, you know, some resources together for desisters as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the aircraft carrier thing. This is like the aircraft carrier towing the aircraft carrier, towing the aircraft carrier, and then turning it around. You know, it's going to take a lot of work. Hmm. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I like one of the things I, I said the other day, you know, this is this looks like a lot like. How do you put it? You know, coming out of a war, you know, people are really psychologically harmed. Some folks are missing body parts. And you know what? We're returning to an unsympathetic public. Hmm. Yeah, because a lot of people don't like this whole thing to begin with. So for, you know, for them to you know, gather their empathy up for somebody who's been down this transgenderism path. Yeah, it takes a lot for them to do that. That seems like problems on many fronts because you're going to be ridiculed by the community that you're leaving uh, and even not just ridiculed but actively people will actively go after you um, I see a lot of problems with with people hearing you say that the whole thing is a fiction uh, and there there's uh, and that brings up whole questions about uh, empathy and and support and affirmation but as well like you bring up like there's the public who is just say well I told you so Fuck you, buddy. You just like sent my grandkids down this path now. So you're you're to blame. Reap what you sow. Um, and so I don't think that's going to be helpful at all. And so there should be it seems like there's a lot of work to do, a lot of PR. But, you know, I, I'm not scared of this. Hmm. Yeah. 
I, the feminists are over here and the, and the, the Christians and the right is over here. Yeah. So I don't care if they've got HRC or whoever they've got, you know, I've, I've got this army behind me too. <laughs> huh? Well, wonderful, Jamie. I have, um, I should go. I have another interview that I have to get ready for. Um, yeah. is there any resources that you would like me to link to? Uh, do you have a blog or an active website? You have a Twitter that you you're using. Yeah, I, I'm notable to sister on, on Twitter. Um, but I mean, you can just, plug my name in, into Google. Anybody could do that. And, and there's like, there's, there's a ton of stuff. I, I have a personal website on, on WordPress. Um, actually, that's even linked to my Wikipedia page. At the bottom of the Wikipedia page has, has my personal uh, website. Yeah, Wikipedia, I don't think, I don't think like to be desisting either. But mm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So yeah, they, I mean, they're, they're, I'm, I'm easy to find, and I have a contact form on on my personal website, and of course, people can reach me through Twitter. Yeah. Excellent. But, uh, but I, I appreciate you taking the to, time to you know bring me to your world. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thanks. Um, we'll keep in touch, and uh, hopefully, um, maybe I'll have you back on, or hopefully, uh, we can keep a conversation going in, in some capacity. But absolutely, contact me anytime. Okay. Yeah, this thing isn't going away or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so you you take care. All right, Jamie. Have a good day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Ciao.